John chapter 2, we're going to look at verses 1 to 12. God's word says this, On the third day there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also invited to, was invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water, and they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, Now draw some out, take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first, and when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This is the first of his signs Jesus did at Cana in Galilee, and manifested his glory, hear this, and his disciples believed in him. After this, he went down to Capernaum with his mother and his brothers and his disciples, and they stayed there for a few days. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, we come now to the, the first sign that John's gospel presents to us of Jesus' ministry, which conveys to us this main idea. Our main idea for today is this. Jesus' first sign shows the old order is fading away, new creation is breaking in. The old order is fading away, new creation is breaking in. The gospel of John, I think we found just even in these first few weeks as we've uh, been invested in this particular book of the Bible, is just such a beautiful book of scripture. Uh, it's, it's incredibly unique among the four gospel accounts. So there's four gospel accounts that begin our New Testament. It is, I want to be clear about this, the gospel of John is historical narrative. This happened. Jesus turned water into wine. He was at this wedding. This actually happened in history. It is historical narrative, but I think John arranges his gospel in a specific way to accomplish uh, what I would say are two purposes. The first we hit on back in the first week of this series, the first purpose is this, is to win the skeptic or unbeliever to Jesus. Uh, he said this at the end of his gospel, these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. You'll notice at the end of this passage, it says that the disciples saw this sign and what? And they believed. They believed in him. Number two, point number two of John's gospel is this, is that he, I think his aim is to edify those already who are believing upon Jesus. What does edify mean? To build up, to strengthen the faith of Christians, of those who have placed their faith and trust in Christ, and to strengthen this, the practice of our faith, the way we live. And we have to be mindful of this purpose when approaching John. How do we see these two purposes accomplished in the passage and in our understanding that the old way is fading and new creation is breaking in? Now, I'm going to be honest with you. As I went through this passage, man, this thing is loaded. 
Okay, it is loaded with stuff. You have practical teaching, you have theological teaching. It's just, it's deep. It's layer upon layer upon layer. Uh, as you go through and read John's gospel, that's what you're going to find. You will never plumb the depths of this particular gospel. It is deep. So I'm going to do my best to hit on all of those things, but I'll probably fall short, but it's all to the glory of God anyways. So here we go. I'm hoping today to present these overarching ideas of the passage, do this passage justice from a theological sense. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say this up front. We're going to be a little bit nerdy in the first section of this, and then we'll get into some practical stuff hopefully you can take home uh, with you. There, because there's just so many layers here that we have to kind of dig through. So this, this idea of the old order fading away, new creation breaking in, is kinda, it's more of a theological statement than something maybe you can grab hold of. More so than just like a practical teaching, something you can do. But I hope this morning to convey both theology and to draw application from this section. So the nerdy stuff comes first, okay? A few important points before we get into some of the depths of this particular text. First, let's look at the first half of verse 1. John's Gospel says this, On the third day there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee. Okay, there's, there's some important setting, uh, historical contextual things that we have to attack first before we can understand what John is teaching here. So we have a setting, right? There's a, there's a cultural setting that surrounds this passage, and it's a wedding, right? Mary, Jesus, his disciples, they're all attending this, this wedding. Now, we think of weddings in our cultural context, they're, they're rather quick, thank goodness. I'm not much of a wedding guy, I'll admit. I think most men are pretty quick, like, let's get through the ceremony, let's eat, that's important. Not too much dancing, no thank you, let's go home, watch the ball game, right? Listen to this, guys. In, in, in this day and age, weddings lasted, could last up to seven days. Can you imagine a week-long wedding? No, thank you. <clears throat> weddings were, the people who I've married in the past were like, well, that's the way you felt about my wedding. No, it was a special event. I just don't want to spend a week there with you, okay? So weddings were these, these great celebrations uh, there's, there's some evidence, I think, historically that the weddings were so grand in this culture because they pictured, obviously, right in front of them, this, this groom coming for his bride. In other words, I think there's some types and shadows here with weddings in this particular culture looking towards the Messiah coming to save his people. That's why it was such a grand celebration. Uh, running out of wine in this particular cultural context, this is what would happen. It'd be like if in, in our weddings in this day and age, if, you, if the buffet line ran out, you ran out of food in the middle of the wedding, people, the, the people that came to the wedding could actually sue you for that. Okay, they, so the, the groom, that's the, that's the undercurrent of what's going on here. The groom could be sued because he didn't provide enough of the wedding elements for everybody to partake in. So there's a lot on the line for the groom here, right? So this is, a, this is a big deal. This is a huge deal that they've run out of wine or they're about to run out of wine. So we have the wedding, which is this great celebration, picturing, I believe, the Messiah coming for his bride. Then you also have another element in the passage, which is wine. Wine here is important, okay? Because in the Old Testament, we often find that wine is this. It's a picture of celebration, blessing, joy, fruitfulness, we see that 
It's a picture of provision uh, to God's people. We see of it spoken of in Joel 3.18 and in some of the other prophets too. It says, on that day, the mountains, it says, shall drip sweet wine, the hills shall flow with milk, and all the stream beds of Judah shall flow with water, and a fountain shall come forth uh, from the house of the Lord. So we get this picture of kind of abundance and provision there are a number of texts in the Old Testament, prophets in particular, that describe this. We're gonna, I told you we're going to get a little nerdy here up front. They, they describe an eschatological vision in this manager, okay, manner. Okay, I want you to repeat this word with me, eschatology. Can you say that? Good job, eschatology. So we learned a theological word this morning, this morning. Eschatology is this. It's the study or understanding. We usually say the end times. I would say of the things to come. It's the study or understanding of the things to come. So when you hear me say that word, eschatology, say it again. Good job. It's the study or understanding of things to come. The culmination is pictured in Joel, that passage I just referenced, with wine and milk and water flowing freely from uh, when God completes his redemptive work, the things to come, forward-looking. A similar passage is also found if you read through like Amos 9, Jeremiah 31 has some similar language about those different things, wine and milk and water. So this isn't just some sort of obscure theme, rather it's incredibly important. So it is fitting, I believe, that Jesus' first sign that that John focuses in on is a wedding feast, because that has incredible symbolism in this culture. And it includes transforming water, not into just ordinary cheapo wine, but the best wine. Okay, Again, what was wine? A picture of celebration, blessing, joy, fruitfulness. Also, the passage, this is the last kind of nerdy thing we'll cover, and then we'll get into the meat of the text. The passage says this. It says, on the third day, when it begins. It says, on the third day. Now, this is counting from the previous passage that we were in. So last week, we talked about the kind of the calling of some of the first disciples or followers of Jesus. And so I want us to think about this, this wording for a second here, because I believe there's significance to the way that John has written this. If we think back to the very beginning of, of John's gospel, John's gospel has kind of a, a grand beginning, right? It takes us all the way back. He says, in the beginning was the word. We get this picture of creation, don't we? The creation account kind of brought back to mind, a retelling of the creation narrative. And then from there, John will go through each one of the passages and he uses these words. He says, on the next day, on the next day. Then we get a little bit further in and he says, on the third day, bringing us to a number of days that I believe is equivalent to the creation of all things. I think John is recalling the creation account because if we count these days out, we actually arrive at six days. God created all things in what? Six days, the seventh day he rested, didn't he? I believe this is purposeful on John's part. I don't think it's just some happy accident that we arrive at six days. I believe he was purposeful. Now, I want to admit... There's debate on this point. I don't want to claim that my interpretation here of this passage is foolproof, but I do believe this presentation is purposeful on John's part to present Jesus as this. Okay, We see old creation in the beginning of Jesus. I think uh, John is presenting Jesus as the means of what we would say new creation, breaking into the old. I think this is significant in John's gospel. 
The old order is fading away, new creation is breaking in, or we use this term, is inaugurated, is begun in the work of Christ. We hit on the old order fading and new coming in back in John 1.17. If you look to verse 17 of John chapter 1, it says this, For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So we see kind of two orders set up side by side by John in the beginning of his gospel. Now, dare not want to be misunderstood in what I'm saying here. Okay, I'm not throwing the law away. The law is still important. The law of God is still important. Did you hear me? It's so important that Jesus rebukes anyone who would set it to the background, who would say it doesn't matter. You see, because Christ in Christ, the law is fulfilled. In Christ, the law is completed. It's perfected. What humanity, that's you and I, has, has an inability to obey to its full extent, to the, to the full letter. And more specifically, when we look at, at God's people, the Israelites, what they failed to uphold, they, they failed to uphold the law. It gave way then to God's redemptive plan to what I call the the perfect Israel of God. Who is the perfect Israel of God? It's His Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus has perfectly fulfilled the law and will of God, and through this, He has ushered in now a new covenant. Are you noticing these words? New, new, new. And the implications of this is Jesus is, in fact, making all things new. It says as much in Revelation 21.5. Paul summarizes this point in our present redemption through faith in Jesus. He says this in 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, hear this, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And so, to be clear, again, the law is still important in living our lives. The law guides our path towards righteousness. And most importantly, this is what the law does. It reveals to us that we are sinners, that we fall short of the glory of God. It reveals our sin to us. And we need to, it should bring us to this point also, we need to place our faith in the one, that is Jesus Christ, who, who perfectly fulfilled the law and who by his resurrection and ascension is a de- indeed making all things new. Now, enough of kind of the nerdy theological stuff. Let's get into some points here that I hope you can kind of draw and take with you today as you go out this week. Point number one, we're going to look at Mary's approach. Mary's approach to Jesus. I hope that you see these three things in Mary's approach to Jesus. You see intercession, you see faith, you see obedience. Verses 1 to 5 say this, On the third day there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, Hear this, they have no wine, okay? We see a point of Mary interceding or stepping into a situation. What's the problem? The wine ran out. There's no wine. She's telling Jesus, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. 
Now I, I believe we're going to see faith in action here. His mother said to the servants, okay, you see how she's, she's continuing to walk forward in faith. You see faith in action. She's just speaking to the servants now. What does she say? Do whatever he tells you. Now we see instruction in obeying Jesus. We see Mary interceding in a, a problem or a situation. We see faith in action. We see her instruction to obey who? Jesus. Again, we hit on some, some theological truth in the main idea. Now we're going to draw some practical application from this passage. Mary's approach to Jesus, her coming to Jesus, gives us three ways that, that we come to Jesus. We come doing this, interceding. Okay, the problem, the wine has run out. What does Mary do? Okay, she doesn't tell Jesus what to do. Notice that here. She just states the fact, we're out of wine, to Jesus. She doesn't tell him what to do. She simply presents the problem. I think that that's a a teaching that we can draw from this. That we would come to Jesus and say, here's the issue. Because here's the truth of the matter. We don't get to tell Jesus what to do, do we? We just lay the problem at his feet. Here's the issue, Jesus. Now, looking at Jesus' response, we usually read too much into Jesus' response and calling his mother woman. I'm going to be honest with you. If if my mom presented a problem, like the trash is full, and I responded, woman? (laughs) What does this have to do with me? I'd walk away with five red fingers marked on the side of my face, wouldn't I? Okay, I don't, that's not what's going on here. Here the use of woman is is actually a term of of endearment and it's purposeful. We'll get to that. It's actually a positive term. We we read it in our day and age, especially for some reason we, we read that with like the snarky teenager voice, right? But that's not what's going on. How do we know that? Because he uses this same exact term later on in this particular gospel. He would use the same word when Jesus is stripped bare and he is nailed to a cross and he looks down at his mother and he says, woman. And it's the same exact word. So we know that it's not kind of a a put down type of term but it's a, it's a term of endearment to his mother. But the use of woman here does show us that things have shifted in the life and relationship of Mary and Jesus. Yes, she's his mother, but it reveals, this use of this term woman reveals that even though she is Jesus's Mother, the old way is fading and the new is coming. Even, hear this, even Mary must approach Jesus with an attitude and heart of faith. She is not perfect. She is a sinful human being, just like all of us. And she needs the righteousness of Jesus also. This passage here and that wording is is showing us a change in the relationship Jesus' ministry is beginning, and now it must be very clear on how we approach and come to Jesus with an attitude and heart of faith, just like his mother does here in this passage. 
We'll see this just next. Mary's faith that Jesus would intercede is shown when she instructs the servants. Now we see her belief that Jesus is going to do something in action. She takes steps. She is, Mary is expectant that Jesus is going to do something, that Jesus is going to act, that Jesus is going to change what's going on. She's not entirely sure of what that is, but she believes strongly enough to do this, to tell other people. And what does she tell them? Obey him because my boy's about ready to do something. Okay, listen to this guy. I think this is the best piece of advice that really we can get from Scripture, especially from Jesus' mama. What does she say? What's the best piece of advice we could get? Do whatever Jesus tells you. I hope if you guys forget everything else we talked about today, you walk out and say, okay, do whatever Jesus tells you. Do whatever Jesus tells you. This could be the major takeaway. Underline, circle, remember Mary's words to the servant. Do whatever he tells you. Now, as you, family, as you search the scriptures on your own, as you study God's word on your own, clearly, Do what it tells you to do. Look for the commands of Scripture, of His Word. Obey, keep, hold fast to them, just as Mary instructed the servants. Do whatever He tells you. Point number two, now we see Jesus' ability. We see transformation now in this next section says this in verses 6 to 10. Now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification. I want to pause there for just a second. Customarily, the, the attenders of this wedding would have to be ceremonially purified. Okay? They'd have to be washed off to attend the wedding. So that's what these jars are there for. And it says that they, they hold 20 or 30 gallons. Okay? They hold a lot of liquid. That's what the author's saying there. There's a lot of volume in these things. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. I love this. Look at how much they obey Christ. So they filled them, not just kind of full, all the way to the brim. They're heaping full. He said, now draw some out. Take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine. I did not know where it came from. It's as though the servants who had drawn the water knew. They knew what was going on. The master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first, and when the people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. He says this, But you have kept the good wine until now. The best stuff has been brought out. This is amazing. This is an amazing sign. I want to say this, in all likelihood, the, the first wine that was served at the wedding feast was probably good. It was the best that the, the groom could bring out. But what Jesus brings out is even better. It's an even better thing. That's the point of the passage. That the old is fading, and it isn't bad. The law of God's not bad. But this new thing that Jesus is bringing is the best. It's what Scripture has pointed to. It's a new and better way that's coming in the person and work of Jesus Christ. 
And this work of Jesus is transformational, just as he's transformed this water into something else, because he takes the old, which is the law, Jesus upholds it, fulfills it, accomplishes it. Then he does this for us. He goes to the cross, as John the Baptist said, as the perfect lamb of God. Jesus dies in our place, but he doesn't stay dead. He raises from the dead on the third day as the first fruits of what? The new creation. Jesus transforms the old and then he brings in a new and better way. The author of Hebrews says this in chapter 1, verse 3, says this about Jesus, says he is the radiance of the glory of God that is beautiful and the exact imprint of his nature and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. That's your savior. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. That's where Jesus is right now. Notice what he did. He made purification for sins. This is the new and better way that is shown in Jesus' use of the purification jars. Do you think it's an accident that he used those? No. The ceremonial purifying is transformed by Jesus. He literally fulfills the purification of his people. And in purifying his people, he brings transformation. He brings in the new wine of celebration, blessing, abundance, joy, fruitfulness. How does Jesus transform us? How does he transform us? Because he gives us this. We're going to see this old and new a lot this morning. He gives us a new nature. He gives us a new nature. We are, as followers of Jesus, we call ourselves born-again Christians. There's a newness that's brought to mind by that term, born-again. What does it mean? It, to be born again means the old nature is gone or is fading away and the new nature is breaking in. Jesus uh, brings us to this place of being born again. He does this through the transformational gift of the third person of the Trinity, his Holy Spirit. We are born again through the Spirit indwelling us. Thus we are, Jesus would say, we are born of what? Of the Spirit. We're born again. What do we do with this then? This knowledge that we have now is that we live in light of this transformational new nature that Christ has given us. We live in light of this transformational new nature that Christ has given us. We walk in light of our redemption. We don't go back to the old nature. We walk in light of the new nature that Christ has given to us through the power of His Spirit. What does that look like in the Christian life? I think practically it looks like this, that we live a life of celebration and joy and blessing and fruitfulness. That's the gift of the new nature. Number three, point number three, we see the the disciples' arrival or the the revealing of Christ to them. The disciples' arrival, we're going to look at this word revealing says this in verse 11. This, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee. It says, and manifested. I want to define that word a little bit. Manifested means to reveal or even more simply put, to make clear. Okay, It made clear 
His glory. That's what the author's getting at there. It revealed the glory of Jesus. And what was the result when Jesus is revealed? When his glory is revealed, what happened to his disciples? Glad you asked. It says his disciples believed in him. When the glory of Christ was revealed, they believed in him. Simply put, this sign... This transforming sign was an instrument of revealing who Jesus is. Again, manifest means, means a clear understanding. I worked in retail for a number of years, and we would get shipments, and the truck driver would come in with the shipment, and he would hand me a manifest. And the manifest was clearly spelled out everything that was in the truck. That's what Jesus is doing here. He's making clear his glory to his disciples. Jesus reveals himself in glory clearly. It's known by those who are in his presence. I want to look at this a little bit further. Wine is not a simple drink to make. It's it's complex. So, So this isn't just some magic trick or sleight of hand that Jesus is carrying out. In order to make wine, you'd have to grow grapes and smash the grapes and mix them with other ingredients and place them in a container to age and transform them. But here, Jesus takes purification jars, they fill them up with water, and he instantly transforms them into wine. And this sign, it's not just Jesus showing off his power and might, but as John says, it's so that his glory is revealed to those who are there. That he is made clear. Remember, the the wedding is a picture of the groom coming for his bride, the Messiah coming to save his people, the wine a picture of celebration and joy and blessing and fruitfulness. And this occurred on the sixth day, picturing the new creation breaking in. It shows this about Jesus. This is exciting. It shows that the the constraints of the created order do not apply to Jesus. Why? Because he's God in the flesh. Because he's the word, as John said in the beginning, who spoke them into existence. And because Jesus revealed himself to the disciples, what happened? They believed in him. What do we learn from this? And it takes a revelation from God for belief to come. It takes from God revealing himself to you for you to be drawn into relationship and to believe upon him. And so with this in mind now this morning, family, we come to two choices as we read through this passage. We have two choices. It's not true or it is. The story's not true or it is true. Either this section of the Bible is a fairy tale, a lie, a legend, or what? It's completely historic and true, and it happened. I want to say, if it's a lie, then you can simply move on and not worry about a thing. But if this indeed is true, if this is true, then you must wrestle with who Jesus is in your life. My desire each and every time I preach is to bring each and every person in this room, in proximity, in earshot of what I'm saying, to Jesus so that they cannot remain indifferent to him. My goal is that I I could, through through the proclamation of the word, through the power of God's Holy Spirit, make Jesus unignorable to you. You can't avoid this question. 
to answer, did he really change water into wine or not? Because if he did, then he's showing us that he is indeed God in the flesh. Because only God can overcome the constraints of creation. And so the question is, if it's true or it's not true, which is it? And so if it's true, let this sermon, one, we're gonna, I'm going to talk to two groups of people. Number one, if you're a Christian, if this is true, if you are a follower of Jesus, if you place your faith and confidence in the finished work of Christ, let this story edify you and build you up. And strengthen your faith. In knowing these things, the old is, is fading away and the new is breaking in. Let us, as followers of Jesus, learn from Mary's example that we can come to Jesus. She comes to him with anything and everything. That we can come to Jesus with anything. That we can lay anything, any problem that we have at his feet. And that we can place our faith that Jesus will accomplish this. That he will accomplish what is good and right. Okay, Not exactly what you want, but what is good and right according to his plan. And we learn from Mary that we can walk in obedience to whatever he tells us to do. Listen to him. Listen to Jesus. And how then, connecting this all together, how then do we walk in obedience? Because we have, Christian, you've been given a new nature in Christ. God's Holy Spirit dwells in you. He empowers, your spirit empowered, we're empowered by God's Holy Spirit to walk in this new nature that we have. In obedience to Him. It's why if you're truly a follower of Jesus, when you sin, it should grieve you. It should hurt to know that you have sinned against the holy God because the new nature and that old thing is rubbing up against each other. Walk in obedience to the word of Christ. Let this section of scripture edify you and build you up and strengthen your faith in knowing who Jesus is and what he has done. Number two, if this is true, and you are not a believer, you're not a follower of Jesus, if this is true, will you believe upon Jesus as Lord and Savior over your life? You see, apart from belief in Jesus, our old sin nature still dominates all that we say and do and who we are. We live in opposition to a holy God. But through faith in Jesus, as his word says, as the resurrection and the life, we are then clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. Christian, this is you too. You're clothed in the righteousness of Christ. We can be readied by by putting on the righteousness of Jesus so that we may be prepared for this. uh, Revelation pictures this beautiful end-time wedding feast. Revelation 19, 6-9. We'll get there in just a second. To be a part of the wedding feast, you must come to the bridegroom Jesus. You must wear the clothing that He has given you. You must believe upon Him as your righteousness. See, your clothing, in other words, your works, the way you come to God apart from Christ is not sufficient. Did you hear me? It's not good enough. 
We need the righteousness of Christ to clothe us, to cover us. We need his clothing to come to the wedding feast. And if you place your faith in Jesus, you can come. You can come to the wedding feast of Jesus. It says this in Revelation 19. 6 to 9 says, Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude. There'll be many, many people at this wedding feast, is what John is revealing to us. It says, Like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder. And they're crying out these words, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give Him the glory. For, hear this, the marriage of the Lamb has come and His bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen was the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. Who wants to go to the marriage supper? Who wants to go to the wedding? Jesus is inviting you. He's inviting you to the marriage supper. Come to him. Come to him.